In today's episode, we discuss the importance of personal growth and embracing the journey of life. What motivates us? Emotions versus logic, individualism, taking a risk for a dream, and more. I really think you're going to enjoy this episode, and thanks again for tuning in. Please, if you could support the show by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform, and also if you could give the episode a share with a friend on social media, it really helps us to spread the word. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, where ancient and modern wisdom come together to create a better way of living. I'm your host, Shane Sorensen, and each week we speak with successful people from a plethora of disciplines in search of wisdom from their own lives. Your own personal renaissance begins today. Let wisdom be your guide. Hey everybody, welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast. I'm here with today's guest, Taylon Simmons. How are you doing today? Yeah, man, I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's uh, first thing in the morning and I'm not a coffee guy, so I just like get up, have my water and just get right at it. But no, I'm excited. These types of conversations are a great way to start the day. Awesome. Uh, you you a uh, espresso fan or are you a fan of just like a, a traditional, like kind of like American coffee? Man, truthfully, I love coffee so much. I just can't drink it because it uh, doesn't go well with me. Like for years, well, I'll say it first off, I never drank coffee ever until I was like 21 or 22. And then I started drinking it because the job I was working, I had unlimited free coffee. So it's like, how do you not just like yeah. get into the get into the sauce, right? And for the next two years, I had like almost like crippling anxiety to the point where I had to stop working. Like I was at work so anxious, like so in my head, I was like shaking, I was like sweating. And I'm like, man, what the heck? I went to like therapy for it. I went and seen like doctors and they were just like, I don't know what's going on. Like it says that you're healthy. And finally they were just like, hey, well, the first thing we could do to try to figure out what's going on is you could just quit coffee. Like let's cut all the stimulants and let's like calm you out a little bit. I cut coffee for four days and was completely normal. So I've, I've since like tested it okay. I, when I'm off coffee, I'm fine. I'll like have coffee for like one or two days, even like Red Bulls or just any type of stimulant. And I just get like super like crazy brain fog. I get really anxious and I just, I can't have stimulants for some reason. It just doesn't go well with my body. So it's, uh, it sucks, but you, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. At least you figured it out sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's uh, start out. Just tell, tell us a little bit about uh, your, your background, just kind of what, you know, what, what you're up to, um, where you came from, that kind of thing. Sure. So background, uh, I really want to be a musician, actually a DJ back when I was like 15, 16, seen like dead mouse and Skrillex back in the, their heydays and was like, damn, that's so cool. I really want to do that. So I went to school for music production and ended up working at a record label, ghost producing music for three years for other artists which seems like a fever dream now when I look back on it, because it was the craziest ride of a lifetime. Just, uh, we can get totally get into this, but living in pretty much like a mansion, like super nice cars, the parties, the the music, the, the, the drinking and everything. It was like actually like something out of a uh, entourage. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen the, the, that TV show. It was kind of like that. And I eventually was like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of like this lifestyle. It's pretty crazy. It's very hectic. I don't know if this is what I, what it was really chalked up to be. So I went into being a college teacher after 
uh, where it was a bit more tame. I could still do like music related stuff. I taught people how to become like music producers, how to tour, how to perform from the ground up at like a private college and then taught them business principles as well. And then I transitioned out of that after seven years into ghostwriting for CEOs and founders on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And that's how we get to where we are today. Okay. So, uh, you know, basically you got out of that lifestyle just because you, you felt that, you know, you weren't really kind of living up to your potential as a human being. Is that, is that kind of ultimately like what, what led you out of that? I would say there's two main things is like, I used to tell myself that I would be happy once I like achieve my goals. Like I remember being 15, 16, like around that age and just being like, I need to make it as a musician. Like I know once I'm a full-time musician and I'm just writing music and I'm just in that day to day, my life is just going to be great. It's going to be amazing. And it became almost like a crutch because I, I wasn't feeling very good at the time. Like my confidence was low. I wasn't like very fulfilled in my life, but when you have that vision of no, like it will be perfect one day, you always have like a crutch to why it's not right in the present. And once I actually did achieve it, it took me about five years. I remember like getting up every day and being like, is this really what I worked so hard for? Like, is, yeah. is this, is this it? Like I wasn't really excited to go to work, which sounds crazy because I'm like, producing music at a record label, meeting artists, like hanging out with amazing people, traveling to like Miami and Vegas and all these places just to like go to music related events and, you know, playing shows. And it was really cool, but it, it really didn't make me happy or fulfilled. Like there was something missing where I woke up in the morning and I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, like, let's get at it. Let's get in the studio. Let's finish that record. Let's like go prepare for this show. It was, I was just like dragging my feet to like get to work. And that was like the first reason, like thing that really clicked for me when I'm like, how, how often do we do this to ourselves? How often do we tell ourselves we'll be happier? Like life will be better when we make yeah. more money, when we get that job, when we get that girl, when we get in better shape and then like adaptation kicks in to like baseline happiness and you like feel the exact same as you did before. So it's, that was like a very huge eye opening experience for me when I was very young. Uh, okay. No matter what I think like I'm lacking, like my life should be good today. Like there's no reason why I can't be happy like in the present. Like how come I'm not currently happy even though I don't have that goal? So that would be the the first one that we can kind of dive into before I go into the second one if you want. Sure. Yeah, I mean that that's a reoccurring theme I think like so far in all the guests that I've spoken with too um is this kind of idea that like we we have this path that we're headed down in our lives especially people who are motivated, people who like actually, you know, set set some sort of goals or have some sort of ambition for their life. Like they're, they're headed towards this place. And a lot of times we end up getting to that place and there's this, this like emptiness that follows, right? You hear about it in the Olympic, you know, the Olympic gold medalist, right? Like Michael Phelps, you know, he goes in, he kills the Olympics. He gets all these gold medals, sets all these records. And then, you know, afterwards you're like, okay, well now, now what do I do? There's, it, it seems like anytime you're headed for a destination in life, right? It, it always ends up in disappointment because it doesn't last forever. Um, and that, that's one of the things I talk about in the book a lot is the, the idea of the Greek concept of eudaimonia, which is flourishing, right? It's, it's not a temporary state that comes because you've achieved something. It's, it's the continuous act of betterment of trying to reach towards your potential as a human being. If you're, always progressing in some way, 
you you kind of get in love with the journey as opposed to always just seeking out a destination. hundred percent. Absolutely love that. Um, like I, I trying to how to word this bouncing off of that. I think like being human means that you have to progress and you have to grow. Like if you're not, you're, your life's just not, you're not going to feel good. You're going to feel like you're stagnating, complacent. Something isn't going to feel right. Like we're just wired to like survive, adapt and grow. But the frame that you come from, I think is what matters most. Like when I was in my early twenties, it came from a place of lack and a place of scarcity. And I, I'm sure for a lot of young men, like they feel this too was, you know, I don't have enough money. Maybe I'm not in the best shape. I don't have like the, the car. I don't have the house yet. I don't have the status basically. So you're just like pursuing all these things because you have a lack of, but once you get to like some tipping point where you're no longer in the lack phase and you're like, okay, like maybe I'm not completely rich, but I'm not like struggling with money. I'm in like good shape. Like that's, you've eliminated all those like unnecessary sufferings. And then what you're left with is, okay, well, I can't just like stay here. Like, yeah, it was great. I'm like happy I got here. This was incredible. But now you still have to grow, which is where I think that growth should come from a place of abundance and just embracing being human. Like, what am I curious about? What do I want to learn? What would be a fun challenge? And doing it from that place instead of always thinking I'm lacking, I'm not good enough. I'm like, I, I won't be feel, I won't be happy until I get here. It's like, well, yeah. if you're not wise, you could tell yourself that over and over and over again. And next thing you know, you're going to be like 70 and you're still going to realize that like, you're just chasing that fictional idea. Like it's just, it's never going to go away until you hop off that treadmill. Right. Yeah, that's very true. It, it, it makes me think so like with my background, um, when I was, uh, when I was around like 21, I, I moved down to Atlanta, Georgia to do jujitsu full time. And, uh, I, I came here because there was a really good gym, uh, Lions martial arts. And I had like big ambitions of being a black belt world champion, which, you know, for a blue belt that was 21 already from Indiana, that's like a pretty, uh, lofty dream. And I, I trained full time. I started having some success. I got my purple belt. I really, really felt like, and my coaches felt like I was kind of ready to win the worlds at purple belt that year. Um, you know, I got up to like number three in the rankings, which still two belts away from black belt. But, um, you know, for me, just like getting that first world championship, that was like always a huge part of it. And I had an injury and I, I just had a lot of time to sit and be sad about the fact that I couldn't do the second biggest tournament of the year. And, you know, I, I asked myself the question, which you just kind of like talked about, but I basically asked myself, like, what changes when I get this, this championship, like how, how do I change? And when I reframe the question and I asked myself, like, what am I trying to prove that, that like just shattered everything. Like I was like, why I, I kind of realized I wasn't doing it for me. It was like, I was doing it to prove that I could do it to everybody else. And, um, you know, that, that just caused a big shift in my thinking. And I actually took, took some time off of jujitsu after that. And jujitsu is still a big part of my life. But, uh, I, I realized that just, you know, that, that championship was more about me trying to prove that I could do it. It was more about me, like trying to prove my worth to myself. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a crazy story. It's cool of you to like question that and hop off of it. Like there's this, this idea that a lot of people disagree with me on, but I'd love to see your take is a lot of the reasons like why we do the things we do 
I don't even think we know why we do the things we do. Like those desires are hidden from us until we question it. It's like a subconscious pull. Like um, I tell this story a lot. It was uh, late last year, um, my girlfriend at the time, she lived in Germany and she was coming up to visit in Canada for a little bit. And I just sort of started making like quite a bit more money. Like my agency was doing really well. So I was like, man, I'm going to go rent like a 2023 bright red Corvette, like brand new. Like this guy had just gotten it and I rented it from him. I'm going to drive like four hours to the airport in Vancouver and I'm going to pick her up. And uh, I was like, you know, I had a great time. Like I, I told myself that I'm like, this is, this is going to be amazing. Uh, I'm going to do this for me, for my family. And like, it's going to be this incredible like experience. And then I pick her up in this thing and she looks at the car and goes, don't fucking tell me that you drove here in that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. She's like, don't you think that's completely unnecessary, excessive and a huge waste of money? I was like, uh, uh, I don't know. She's like, you know, you should have just drove your like Mazda. Like we would have had a comfier ride back. You know how much it's going to suck to drive four hours in this? She's like, it's right. not comfy at all. And she just like hated it. But like before that, before I like picked her up in it, I gave like all these excuses as to why I was like validating the reasons to rent this car. I'm like, well, my parents are up and my dad loves Corvette. So I'll rent it for him. And like my, my other friends really love them. So I'll go like rip around with them and there'll be this cool experience. Cause I have like the extra money now to blow on this kind of stuff. And then when she just like didn't approve of it, it was this instant like crushing feeling of just like, Oh, well, this was like a waste of time. Like, why did I even do this? Like I didn't get that external validation that I was actually seeking. Like didn't matter what excuses I told myself consciously as to why I rented this car. I like in that moment, I was like, fuck, that's why I rented this car was I was trying to impress my girlfriend and now it didn't even impress her. And now I just like feel bummed out. Like, yeah. it's, like it makes me wonder, like, uh, and see if, if you agree is how, how many times do we do this to ourselves where we say we're doing this for X reason, but we have no idea why we're actually doing it. Like the deeper drives are hidden from us until we sit down and question it. Yeah. I think there's like a lot of, there's a lot of drives that we, we can't even acknowledge sometimes. I think, you know, there's like, for example, we're, we're not enslaved by our past, right? Some, some people kind of play the victim card because of things that they've gone through in life. And they say, well, this is the reason why, you know, I X and X, why I haven't done this or that. And, uh, well, I, I don't agree with that. Right. We always have control over kind of where we're going. There, there is an element of we're, we're shaped by our past experiences, by the trauma that we've gone through, by, um, the good things that we've gone through. There's also like biology programs into us where there's just biological program programming that's existing in us. Like, you know, there's hormones influence, influence us, neurotransmitters, our current sleep state, the kind of diet we've been doing, you know, our habits, uh, the opinions of others, our upbringing. I mean, th there's so many factors that can go into something and it, it's almost like this magical thing. Like you kind of mentioned, right? Like, how do you even know where your true motivations come from? Cause you can justify, or you can use logic a lot of times to back up an emotion that at the end of the day, we're just kind of acting on this emotional impulse and logic a lot of times works backwards to justify it. I think. Dude, hundred percent. I completely agree with that. Like, uh, what is that? Like Heights idea of the, uh, the elephant is in control or something like that. Like you're the rider on the top of the elephant. You can like influence the decisions, but you can only do so much to control this elephant. And it's, yeah, it's so true, man. Like a big, 
I'd say I really learned this one over the past year. Like you can read about a lot of things intellectually, but I think I finally had the experiences to truly process this one where it's like a hey, emotions, like main reason for existing is to create action. Like that's what it's there for is like to help you like avoid certain yeah. things to drive you towards certain things. So whenever we have emotions, people are like, especially nowadays, like I feel like there's a cultural shift where it's like, be in your emotions, feel your emotions, like always be like working with your emotions. And some of my friends are very much like this. Like it's their life philosophy. They're like, if I feel an emotion, I act on it immediately. Like that's, that's healthy. That's like processing emotions in a healthy way. We can't repress them. I actually disagree with that. I think emotions are sometimes valid. Like if you're about to get hit by a bus and you're like a fear emotion kicks in and you jump out of the way, like that's a pretty valid action to come from an emotion. But there's a lot of emotions that you said from past programming from certain influences that really aren't that valid and aren't going to move us in a healthy direction. Mm -hmm. So the question became for me, how do I feel these emotions? Because repressed emotions come back with vengeance, like Carl Jung 101. I was like, but not act on them. And that to me is the biggest differentiator is feel everything, but only act on what's truly going to lead you down a healthy path or in a positive direction. Yeah. And, and I think that is, that's essentially like the, the stoic virtue of prudence, right? Of, and I, again, mm -hmm. this is something that I've, I really, really think is important in people's lives is that your, your ability to kind of reason with your emotions and try to self-examine as best as you can what the motivations may be behind those emotions and kind of knowing yourself and knowing human psychology and understanding where those things come from and being able to logically sort of combat that emotion to make sure that you're making the right decision. I think that that is wisdom, right? When you, you have an impulse yeah. and you, you follow this emotion, you follow this feeling but then you kind of dissect it logically and break it apart and say, where is this coming from? Is this truly the best thing for me? Um, because I, I agree with you. I think that when you live only from emotion, I, I think that you get yourself in a lot of trouble because many times your emotions are just going to sort of default to the easy thing. You know, the like the bad food, the skip in the gym, the, you know, backbiting somebody else instead of trying to bring them up. It, it tends to devolve into like the lower kind of animalistic urges that we have. Um, but conversely, if you only live logically, which I, I made this mistake uh, over, you know, probably like the last like six or seven years of my life and recently have come back more into a balance. But when you live, you know, too logically, I think you, you kind of stop living. You miss a a whole part of the human experience. And there, there is a lot of value to like human intuition and emotion. If, if you can listen to it and kind of like balance it with that logical side. 100%, man. Like, that actually resonates with me so much because my early twenties and even like the mid twenties, I was very much like logic, what makes sense, like pushing a lot of those emotions down. But dude, you're so right that when like, there's this whole experiential side of life of, you know, running with your emotions when you know, like, okay, it's, it's okay to do so here. We're not going off the rails. This isn't going to destroy our life. Like maybe to give an example of when I think emotions can lead us astray is I have this one friend who's, she's very, very in her emotions. Like if she feels something, she's like feeling it intensely, deeply acting on it. And she usually struggles to have like healthy relationships. So there'll, there'll be a guy that'll maybe like ghost her, not treat her well. 
And all of us, you know, the logical friends on the side with no emotional attachment are just like, hey, don't text that guy back. Do not go and hang out with that guy. He's so bad for you. It's not going to lead anywhere. And then he says you up at like, you know, 9 p.m. And she's like, oh, I don't know. Like my emotions are like telling me that I should just like do like I really feel like it's going to be different this time. Right. It's like that, that's not wisdom. Like you were saying, that's not questioning. Like, uh, like I have this like tweet that like wisdom is discipline and action. Yeah. And it's like. Yeah, like I, I feel like that's that's so true. Like there's that those times where those emotions are like, you know what? I'm feeling this drive, but it's uh let's change this. Let's like lead this in a positive direction. And this is something I'm currently going through, so maybe you'll have some insights to share with me that would be really useful is how do we rework those unhealthy emotional impulses and triggers to lead us in more positive directions? Like in her example, it's almost like you haven't experientially learned the lesson yet. Like, cause she, she gets that text and she's like, ah, I really want to go. Like, and she's just so driven to go. But if she had learned the lesson, wouldn't her like impulse be like, no, like I see what's going to happen. This guy's like disrespecting me. And I, I have higher worth than that. I, I really want to be with someone who's going to treat me different. And she would have a different emotional reaction. I'm trying to figure out how do you bridge? Like, how do you get from like the bad emotional reaction to learning the lesson and having like positive emotion reactions to the same stimuli? Yeah. So I think, you know, and the, the Stoics talk about this, someone who's a little bit more modern, who talks about this a lot too, is um, Eckhart Tolle. Um, yeah. But I, I think that part of it is learning to become the outside observer to the emotion. I, I think that without like, without a bit of wisdom or without a bit of knowledge, I think that the typical default response is to feel an emotion and an emotion is kind of like this wave. And a lot of people are like, yeah, you have to feel the wave and go with the wave and ride the wave, right? You just have to let it flow. You have to go with it. But then you're sort of just a slave to the emotion. So I, I think the first step is to feel the emotion and identify that you're feeling something. And that, that itself, it, it puts you outside of the wave as opposed to inside the wave, right? Because you're the person that's identifying the emotion from the outside in. So you've already kind of gained a step in that you're not being swept away by it. And then I think the next step is essentially like looking at the emotion and trying to figure out what it's telling you. That That's that's something what that I've learned over time is that, like, for example, I'll use depression, right, just to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. A lot of people feel depression and then they have all these feelings about like, well, it's, you know, because... I have a, a chemical imbalance or like whatever. They, they just kind of believe the emotion and they go with it and they're like, I'm depressed. When I feel yeah. depression, which happens, you know, every so often, even when things are going really well, sometimes when things are going badly, but it just, most of the time for me, depression kicks in when I feel like everything's good. Like everything is just humming along and I feel depressed. I feel this kind of feeling of emptiness that you talked about earlier. And I'll just kind of, acknowledge to myself, I'm feeling depressed. So it means that I need to change something. There's something going on in my life that I'm either not doing or I'm doing too much of, or there's something here that's causing me to feel this emotion. And I just kind of like try to listen and I try to look at what I'm doing. Um, and sometimes the answer comes very quickly. 
You know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's because I'm doing this. It's because I'm engaged in this negative habit and it's, you know, trickling down. It's because I have, I've only been sleeping six hours a night. You know what I mean? And that that's causing me to feel tired. And because I'm tired, I'm stressed out and I'm not thinking clearly. Sometimes it's deeper, right? Sometimes it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I have this insecurity about X and, uh, until I can figure out and deal with this, I'm going to continue to experience this. So I think that to me, like the emotion is like an alarm bell. It's like, yeah. okay, I feel this. Let me focus on this area and try to figure it out. And I, I wish there, I had a better like guidance as far as like a step-by-step process, but I think every situation is just so different. You have to, you just have to listen to that emotion and try to break it down. Totally. I'll bounce off that because there's lots of wisdom in there. I like that what you're alluding to is having a deeper level of self-awareness to understand that like you are not your emotions. Your yeah. emotions are something you feel. It's uh, like people that are like, I am depressed. Identity is a very strong thing. Like I've been tweeting about this a lot lately. I probably have to like back it off a little bit, but I read that last chapter of like James Clear's Atomic Habits where he talks about identity and it just like blew my mind wide open. I'm like, this yeah. is so good where it's like what you identify as like really leads to like effortless action. So whenever we're like, I am depressed, it's like, you know, maybe that's true, but you are better off to not identify as the emotion of depression because then you are more easily to overcome it. And that's like just with anything. Like I even say this about positive things too, where like I am successful. It's like, well, maybe today, but like success is least not owned. So maybe that's like a dangerous thing to, like to really like identify as. So I like that you're alluding to um, like basically just not identifying as your emotions and realizing that you're just experiencing those emotions. The other piece that I would add, and I I learned this one from a, a psychologist actually, I thought this was really good, is she talks about how like biologically, like emotions are like wired into like our brain. Like those like brain pathways where like cause happens and then it leads to certain effects. Like, um, you know, you see like sketchy person walking down the street, there's like a circuit that's like, Hey, you could be in danger, like take this action. And that can happen in uh, different situations just from like our past and whatnot. Like for me, one of the struggles I have had in my like twenties is um, anxious attachments when it comes to relationships. I don't know where it comes from, but I have like a very bad anxious attachment trigger where when like my partners start to like pull away, it just like creates this crazy fear response and it's caused so much suffering in my life. Like probably like hands down the most amount of suffering I've like had in my twenties is from this ancient attachment. So I went to the psychologist was like, how do I overcome this? And she's like, okay, basically think about it like this. Imagine there's a crap ton of snow and there's this like path that you've like walked through a bunch and it's not efficient at all. It's just like your, your current path that you always go to go through to get to your car. And you're like, hey, well, there's all this snow. I don't want to walk through all this snow again. So I'm always just going to take this path, even though it's not efficient and it doesn't lead me where I want to go in the right time. She's like, that's like your brain circuits. So when I'm in a relationship and my partner starts to pull away, there's that already like well walked down path that's just like shortcut to fear. She's like, what you need to do is like start to walk another path. And the first time you walk it, it's going to suck because you're like trotting through the really crazy deep snow. And it's going to be hard. And then the second time is still going to be hard. And the third time is still going to be hard. But after a while, it's not that like that old path isn't there. It's that you've gone down the new path that leads you to where you want to go so many times 
that you've trained your brain just to short like to that one. And now you have a new emotional reaction to like the same stimuli. And she's like the, I guess that's probably like CBT cognitive behavioral therapy is just exposing yourself to those fears and like creating new actions based on the same stimuli until that becomes your new default setting. And if we're talking like determinism versus free will, it's like, that's to me, the free will aspect of humanity is okay. We have these triggers. What new pathways do we want to put the effort in to create that lead to the results we actually want? Yeah. And I mean, the, the insight there, as far as, you know, looking at yourself and some of your relationship habits, I mean, obviously that again, harps on that idea of kind of self-awareness and it's, it's, it's critical. Right. And I think that it, it is that self-awareness that allows you the freedom to be able to change it. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. Like you said, it, most of the time it's, it's going to suck. You're trudging through the snow. You're walking down this path that you've never been through. And, you know, it's like, we want someone to just tell us what to do, but you know, you have to kind of figure it out on your own. And it, it really does. It all starts with that awareness. It all starts with this keeps happening. I'm identifying this habit. I'm identifying this emotion and just doing the self work. And I, it's, I just don't, it, I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's ever easy to uh, do something different from what you've done before. It's dude, hundred percent. It's so hard. Like, man, I remember reading Tony Robbins back in the day. I must've been like 20 or 21. This was like, you know, when I first started, we'll say to like leave the matrix or get like self-awareness or whatever, however people want to call it. Yeah. And he was uh, saying, you know, figure out where you want to go and then ask yourself what you have to believe to get there. And if you're someone who doesn't really have a lot of self-awareness, you don't quite understand the origin of beliefs and the way that belief systems work. Like that's a very hard idea to wrap your head around because we have all this like past programming that we never think to question. It's like, oh, like money is evil. Like governments are evil. Like rich people are assholes. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm awesome. And everybody else is out to get me if we're talking like victim mentality, right? Like that, that was me in my early twenties. And I really like read a lot of Tony Robbins, Napoleon Hill, and got more into that world. And they kept talking about this. They're like, what do successful people believe? Like, believe that. And it took me like years of just like the cognitive dissonance of like, but no, like successful people are, are assholes. I can't believe what they believe. Like, that's just not right. And you eventually just realize like, okay, where do I want to go? And what beliefs are going to get me there? And what actions are going to get me there? And like, that's, that's just what you end up like believing after a while you realize like your beliefs are so interchangeable and that you can, you've picked up so many unconsciously that aren't serving you and they're leading you in these terrible directions. And just like to actually question them, be like, where's this actually taking me? Like, is this leading me in a, in a good place? And I think this is important because what we're just talking about is how self-improvement, like doing all the work is like so hard. So people will be like, well, it's going to be way too hard to do that. Like it's, why would I do that? That's so much work. It's like, well, do you want to do like one to five years of really tough work for the rest of your life to be great? Or do you want to suffer the same problem until the day you die? Like when you really just compare those two, like it's a fucking no brainer in my opinion. Like, yeah. you know, like if, if you're miserable and you're not happy, like, okay, maybe it does take five years to do the hard debugging and, de and like fixing the broken brain code. If we're talking like coding language, like analogy here, but isn't like five years of hard work for freedom for the rest of your life completely worth it? Yeah, I, I sure. think so at least. Uh, Anne Rand talks about this and actually I have a, a quote of this in my book too, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, she, she kind of mentions that 
basically it, everyone participates in philosophy. A, a lot of people think philosophy is just mm -hmm. a couple old dudes in a beard at Harvard debating each other. They think of like Socrates, which, you know, Socrates would be a better mm -hmm. example of what philosophy is supposed to be. But, uh, they, they think that it's like this very cold, logical, kind of like dead thing that doesn't have a lot of practicality. But what she says is everyone has a philosophy, right? Like every single person that's alive has a set of beliefs and characteristics and things they've gone through that allows them to see and participate in the world. So a lot of us, you know, all of us to, to some degree are subject to the programming that gets put into our brain, which is just a computer. And it comes from our external world, right? So, you know, your parents tell you, don't touch a hot stove because if you touch a hot stove, you're going to burn your hands, right? And some people, they just say, okay, and accept it and they go on. Uh, some, you know, call them rebels or call them idiots or whatever you want to call them. They have to touch the stove for themselves, right? Like they, they go touch the stove, they feel it's hot, they burn their hand, and then they kind of integrate that into their philosophy. But that's just one small example, right? Like everything we do, you know, like be nice to people. Like you said, e like millionaires are evil. Money is the root of all evil. Like all these things that get programmed in, into us, all these little sayings end up forming like a, a coherent and comprehensive worldview that we live our lives by. So every single person has a worldview. The question like that, you know, Anne Rand brings up is ultimately do you want to allow all of those inputs that get programmed into your computer brain to just come from things that are outside of your control, from opinions that people tell you, from the things you see on TV, from the advertisers that spend billions of dollars to influence you and your decisions, or do you want to take an active role and essentially start breaking down those philosophies and programming your brain in a way that's beneficial to you, right? Because the, those inputs that you absorb from the outside world, they don't, they generally don't really care about you. Like, you know, some of the people in your life that care about you, you know, your parents, loved ones, friends, things like that, they may care about you, but they still may not necessarily know what's best for you, right? They, they may have a good intention, but at the end of the day, the only person that can program your thoughts and your mind and your life into a way that's beneficial for you is, is you. You're the one that's living the experience. You know, you, you, you have to do that work if you want to end up with a life that, you know, is going to be best for you. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Like, otherwise you're just letting like life happenstance and other people determine all of that for you. It's, and it's crazy that you got that from Rand because I, I got that from Nietzsche and I think there's like a controversy that like Rand and like uh, Nietzsche like learned or like that she like referenced a lot of Nietzsche's work. I think she denied it or something. I can't remember. I did like a short stint on, ran for a while but yeah Nietzsche for me was like the really big one man I, I remember so vividly I was driving um to do like a business deal it was like a 10-hour drive and I was listening to Beyond Good and Evil on um, the audiobook and that book is like a, an absolute one of my piece. favorites that, yeah it's oh dude yes finally somebody else that loves <laughs> Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil it's been one of the yeah. most impactful books in my entire life but the idea of like master and slave morality I don't know if it was like, I finally heard it at the right time, but when he's just like, yeah, so these like people in power essentially believe that they should have all this power and that they should rule the world and that that's the right thing to do. And then there's these people that don't have power and they think that not having power is the right thing to do. And as long as they're like obedient and listen, they'll be rewarded in the afterlife. And he's basically like, who's right? 
and it just like hit me and i was just like oh what the hell like because we have this default setting of you know i'm right and everyone else is wrong but when you actually realize that everyone thinks they're right that's when you're just like okay holy crap like what is happening here like with belief systems for me i'm like okay so i can believe anything and think i'm right and everyone else is going to believe everything and think they're right and like that thought alone just like really changed the way i looked at beliefs and like not identifying with beliefs and just like this is a little bit of like buddhism here i i really love like buddhism like maybe for self awareness you might love uh why buddhism is, why buddhism is true if you've never read that book mm-hmm. uh super super insightful book and uh buddhism talks a lot about like less attachment right like kind of extreme sometimes like don't attach to anything but i do think it's useful like don't really attach to your emotions don't attach to your belief systems always be willing to like question and just experience them and know that at the core of your consciousness is kind of like nothing like your identity is kind of just constructed which might sound a little crazy to some people but when you really pull up the threads like it starts to make a bit more sense like th- those two ideas together i'm just like holy crap like that's that's just nuts you you can believe anything and think you're right like i don't know pretty nuts idea for me yeah no that's i mean you you definitely uh recapped Nietzsche's philosophy pretty, pretty well. Um, I, he's my favorite. I've, I've read, you know, basically all of his works mm-hmm. and multiple mm-hmm. times. And I, I'm, I'm really, really into that idea. Um, you know, I don't know if you ever read, uh, thus spoke Zarathustra, but that kind of like cop, like, you know, that, that kind of brings everything together. And at the end of the book, he's basically for anyone who doesn't know, right. Thus spoke Zar- Zarathustra. It's written kind of like a, like a Bible or like a religious text. And there's this prophet Zarathustra. He goes up into the mountains and he essentially finds wisdom. He attains truth. He comes down, he tries to teach people. Um, he kind of realizes that his message isn't ready and the people aren't ready. He goes back up into the mountains. He comes back down and he garners uh, a huge following of people. He goes around kind of like teaching them, being the prophet, so to speak. But his message is like, there, you know, there, there kind of is no prophet, kind of like the Buddha. Right. Uh, you know, don't don't look to me. Right. Like I'm not your savior. And uh, he gets this following and his idea that he's telling people is just like, you know, basically there is no truth. You create your own truth. Don't just adopt the philosophies of the world. Create your own philosophies and, you know, become like a god, you know, cr- forge your own morality, forge your own thoughts and beliefs and he goes away for a little bit and he comes back and all of his followers are worshiping a goat and he gets really upset. He's frustrated. He like, I've, I've been telling you over and over and over again, like, don't be indoctrinated. Stop worshiping, worshiping this goat. And one of his followers kind of points out the hypocritical stance that he's taken. He's like, well, if, if they're like, if there is no truth, if anybody can just believe what they want to believe, why not just like have fun and worship the goat? And he's like, you know, you're right. And so like he joins in and they're just, they're all sitting around like drinking, worshiping this goat, like having a good time. And that's like the end of the book. Right. And I, I think that there is that, uh, <laughs> there's that like circle that you hit and Camus talked about this in absurdism that like, if, if everybody can believe anything they want, you know, ultimately you, you get to, you get to choose, you get to choose what you believe. So you might as well choose the thing that works for you. Right. Dude, hundred percent. I'll say I'd love to riff with you on this one because I more recently in the past couple of years, my idea on this has changed a little bit is I used to be very like individualistic, very like Nietzsche, like a 
I think he might even have this quote, like, you know, trust yourself, follow no one or something like that. And like, I really love that quote, like resonates with me a lot. Reminds me of like some Jedi shit. Um, <laughs> but then like the older I've got, the more I realize, especially from the West, it's like so individualist in such an extreme way that like, you just can't have like a good society. And I, I think so many people would struggle to like align with me on this, but it's like, okay, hey, well, be individualistic to the point where you're going to question everything. You're going to like align with what makes sense for you. And like, don't over like identify with your beliefs, like become more of that, like, uh, what would it be called? Like autonomous individual, but then like reassimilate back into society. Like, yes, you, you know, when you have a government or you have like a social structure that says like, okay, hey, everybody follow Christianity. Like, yes, you're going to sacrifice the individuality for collective cooperation. So I think there's a give and take, like be an individual. But at this point in my life, I'm realizing there's so much richness in community. There's richness in like cooperation. And that if I'm just like a, an autonomous individual, always off on my own, I'm actually missing out on a lot of the richness of the social aspect of life. So now I'm like, okay, where am I willing to sacrifice some of my individualism for collective cooperation? And that's led me to the beliefs that I think are the healthiest ones to take on are beliefs that are healthy for you, others, and society at large. And there's always going to be exceptions to that rule and dichotomies where it's like, well, this belief works for you here, but like it kind of sacrifices society here. It, I think it's more of like a balancing act of maybe let's not be so individualistic that we're just like totally tanking societal cooperation. Everyone's fighting, like all the social structures are falling apart. But let, let's also just like play our part to like make the world better for everyone. And that's like currently where I've fallen into, but I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I guess there's two two points I'd bring up on that. So, um, and I, I talk about this in the book a little bit. Outwardly, uh, I would say it, it appears that, for example, in the United States, that we are a very individualistic society. Um, it's, you know, people talk about like, oh, follow your dreams, yada, 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 right? Like you hear it all, all, all over, over and over and over again. But I think that most people, uh, the vast majority of people are living through these programs, paradigms and philosophy and belief sets. They're not actually doing things that are good for them. They're doing the things that have been programmed that are good for them. For example, an advertiser, right? Like they've, they've bought the ideology that's been sold to them that like, for example, you know, driving, not picking on you here, driving that Corvette, that new Corvette is going to make you a certain type of person. It's going to make you happy, right? Wearing the clothes is going to make you happy. You know, drinking the alcohol is going to make you happy. Being the Instagram influencer and being famous is going to make you happy. Like we've been sold all these beliefs. And it causes people to actually do things that are detrimental to them. So they think that they're doing things for themselves, but they're actually doing things that have been programmed into them to benefit someone else. And actually many times to be harmful to themselves. So yeah. I, I do think that we're individualistic, but it's kind of like a false individualism. I think that to truly be an individual, uh, you have to one think for yourself. You have to question sort of like ideology that's been fed to you, but two, you actually have to like respect yourself and be doing things that are good for you on an individual level and that are actually good for you because you've done the work to figure that out. 
And the second thing, which is kind of a side, is like I would point out uh, ancient Greece. So, for example, in Athens, when you look at Athens and the way that they celebrated uh, athletic achievements, right? Like, for example, uh, like the decathlon or the wrestling or the boxing, things like that. The reason that you see all of these like statues of these like guys with beautiful bodies and women with beautiful bodies and all this stuff is, is because they were celebrating that because it showed what was achievable for the human being, right? So they celebrated individual achievement because it showed others kind of like what was capable or what they were capable of. And the, the bigger kind of unifying theme to that was that a better athlete would actually make a better soldier, which would cause, you know, a better defense for the city. So when invaders came and people were inspired to be strong and to be athletic, they would be able to protect their city better. And this, this like basically took part in every part of society, right? The, the blacksmith that focused on his craft and became better would forge better weapons that would defend the city, right? The, the architects that really focused on themselves and developing their craft would form walls that protected the city. The tradesmen that went out and tried to create a flourishing business would generate more money, which would flow into the city. So the idea in Greece, right, was that each individual had a obligation not only to themselves but to the city that they lived in to be their best and by being their best they actually created a better society for the people that you know they shared it with i think those i i think that there is a part of the collective right like we we do have a sense of obligation to our societies but i think that at least you know my view is that one of the ways you can do that the best is by focusing on being your best yourself no, the, the Athens, like Greece example is really good. It's in complete alignment with what I was saying, um, where like what, what is best for you, others, and the collective at whole? Like, can you align those three as often as possible? Yeah. And because I generally had a, a collective ideology, like being down in Medellin has been very eye-opening for me because, you know, coming from Canada, I don't almost ever hear, refer, like, hear people refer to like, you know, I'm Canadian, so they say we. Like in here in Medellin, if I'm just like, oh, hey, like, what uh what is there to do in medellin the people respond like we like to do this like they actually refer to themselves as like a collective people like mm -hmm. most often it's it's very like shocking for me coming from canada where in canada like hey what's there to do in like canada they'd be like well you could do this you could do that they speak more like to the individual or like from being an individual where here they speak from like a default setting of a collective i'm like fuck, that's like actually like really cool to experience culture wise and that's what got me like really thinking about it. Like here in Medellin, they say, you know, they're kind of indoctrinated from when they're like young to just really believe in the idea of the Medellin people. The, the pro of that is they do have like incredible communities. They do have this sense of like feeling of belonging. But the downside of that is a lot of them do feel like they're lacking like their true dreams. Like they're like, I'm not really pursuing like what I truly want. Like I kind of want to leave and I want to be more of an individual. And I think that, you know, coming from more individualist societies like Canada and probably America, I haven't been to America quite as much, but I, I imagine it's quite similar. It's, it's kind of cool that we have the option of like, okay, we grew up in a society that really favors individualism. So we get that part by default. But I think, at least for me, learning to like assimilate more into the collective and think, okay, how do I not just do things for me? but also to make sure that they benefit like others in the world at the same time. 
that doesn't mean I'm going to be indoctrinated by it. Uh, like even like Christianity will say, like, I'm, I'm not religious per se, but I don't mind going to like religious events and kind of like playing along and just like having fun with it and being like, yeah, I don't think any of this is true, but I get the purpose that it's bringing us all together. So why don't we all celebrate this fictional thing? Like, sure. sure. Like I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I think there's like a cool community aspect. So it's like this weird having like the individualist side where it's like, I'm doing me knowing like you're not going to be indoctrinated by something because you're always going to question it, but you're going to play along anyways, because it just gives you that sense of belonging. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think that most things in life in general are, uh, like Aristotle talks about this, that like, and they talk about this in Buddhism also, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I think in, uh, I think in Buddhism it's, it's called like the, uh, the middle path or something. And like in Aristotle's philosophy, it's like the golden mean or like the, the golden middle. And it's the yeah. idea that there, there are a lot of like black or whites in, in life. There are a lot of dualities that you see and the best place to be is kind of like somehow suspended in the middle and it's not static though, right? Like, for example, you know, between being an individual and being part of the collective is it's like, if you're just a staunch, completely individual, you, you end up, you know, alone in the woods somewhere, like lonely and dying. Yeah. And, you know, if you're totally a collectivist, you just end up being a cog in some like army that gets trampled over somewhere. And it, it's like, at times you may shift more as an individual at times you may shift, but you're, you're trying to kind of find the middle path, right? The, the best place to be is more in the yeah. middle of the two extremes. The goal is exactly. looking through all the philosophies for like the truth that's kind of in the middle of everything. I think it's like really fascinating. Like I'd be interested to hear what have been the, the biggest like philosophical contributions to your life? Like, are there like three or four that come to mind? Uh, th there are a lot. And I, I, I kind of took the, stance of like, I, I tried to go through philosophy, basically, you know, starting with Socrates all the way forward. So like, I started with Socrates and read through, uh, you know, Plato, and then Aristotle. And then, you know, I moved into the Stoics, and I, you know, moved into the, uh, you know, essentially, like the, the Middle Ages, and then into the Renaissance. And I, I really kind of followed the path of Western knowledge. I, I'll say that I'm very limited in my knowledge of Eastern um, belief, but in the Western world, at least, I, I think that I've kind of, because of the way that I read, I followed the evolution of Western thought. And I think that that helped me a lot because th there, there are some big places that point out, like, for example, like Stoicism and, you know, so like Socrates taught me to kind of like question things, to, to ask questions, to, um, to look within that knowledge lies within. And then the Stoics sort of taught me, um, control over emotions. And, and that's like, again, not, not, not having emotions, but at least like not allowing them to dictate everything in your life and, um, logic. And then, you know, going into like Descartes, uh, you know, Descartes, you know, I think therefore I am where you kind of question everything to such an extreme level that you don't even know what's real anymore. Um, and then that, you know, took me into like Nietzsche and Camus. And I, I think that I just kind of followed that like Western arc. Um, but there, there have been a lot of pieces of philosophy that have been really important to, you know, my self-development. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love your idea of just, you, 
kind of take a little bit of bits and pieces from everyone. At least that's what's been more useful to me because it seems like I like guess certain philosophies work better in certain circumstances. Some of them, if you take them to their extremes, like stoicism, I think they start to have like detrimental effects yep. and things like that. But like some that come to mind for me that were really useful was like Nietzsche, of course, has been probably the biggest influence. Like I like I still reread his stuff like two or three times a year because it's just so stimulating and just gets me thinking so much. Uh, Victor Frankl kind of aligns with Nietzsche, like a man's search for meaning. Yep. Like that book is just absolute killer. I love like his uh, philosophy on like purpose and meaning. He quotes Nietzsche. Um, and a lot of yeah. a lot of people actually misquote Nietzsche as Vic, like Victor Frankl, like where he says like he who has a, a why can bear almost anyhow. You know when when Frankl yeah. wrote that he was quoting Nietzsche, but like I said, a lot of times you'll see these quotes circulating, and it's like people will get into arguments yeah. with me and be like, "Oh no, that's like that's Frankl." I'm like, "Well, yes, he did say that, but he was quoting Nietzsche when he said that." So yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're they're in alignment completely. Uh, who else? The Tao Te Ching, I actually really like. Mm. It's like a pretty short, like easy text to go through for Eastern, but like it's a cool idea of um, the way, basically, and it talks about like the way of life. I think the main idea of the Tao is um, that like nature and life has its kind of like natural course, and like you can try to fight it, but the more in alignment you are with just the way that things are, the easier your life will be. Like be like water and just flow downstream. There's like certain times I don't fully agree with that, but like for a lot of it, it's like, yeah, don't, don't fight like the natural cause maybe as much as people probably do. I like that one was right. really big. Um, there's another one that I was just thinking of too. What is it? Buddhism, of course. Like why Buddhism is true is um, Robert Wright. He's an evolutionary psychologist. So he actually took science and applied it to like Buddhism to try to figure out like if Buddhism is actually correct. And it's his whole like breakdown of like applying science, evolutionary psychology and like evolution to Buddhism. And it's like mind blowingly eye opening in terms of self-awareness and like the depth that it actually goes into about like meditation, thoughts, origins of thoughts. Uh, that book is like, well, just rock your socks off. Uh, so good. Uh, you know, I think those are the main ones. But one thing that I thought was funny when you talked about Descartes, I swear to God, Nietzsche had this quote about Descartes once where he's like, you know, Descartes thinks that uh, he's so smart because he like thinks therefore he is. But, you know, he, he doesn't even realize that he doesn't like who knows that he's the one doing the thinking. Like when you pull on the axioms, he's just like, you know, how, are you sure you're the one thinking? Like, is this even true? And he like pulls that sentence apart in like four or five different ways. Um, I, I remember reading that somewhere. I don't know if it was actually him or someone else applying Nietzsche's philosophy, but uh, you might find it fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I wanted to go back a little bit, circle back. I know I know you mentioned like we, we haven't talked a lot about your background yet, but, um, you know, I, I know that you're down in Columbia right now. And um, I, I know that you're involved currently a lot in like ghostwriting. I think that's that's how I came across you. I think originally was on, um, you know, Twitter and we kind of linked up and exchanged some messages. But like, tell, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, what what took you down to Columbia, you know, kind of like what what you're working on now currently, too. Yeah, so to really like take it back, I was a college, like, I didn't quit my job until a month and a half ago. So I've been a college teacher for like quite a hot minute. I grew my ghostwriting agency to, I think it was like 40K per month before I quit. And I was, uh, I went to Dubai with Dakota, this guy named Liam Kircher, who's also on Twitter, and this uh, Spencer, the wash boss. 
And uh, the, the funny story here is like, we were just randomly out for drinks one night. It was me, Dakota, and Liam. Liam's like, yo, I'm moving my tax residency for Dubai for like tax reasons and whatnot. Um, you guys should come. I'm going for 30 days. And he kind of says it as a joke over drinks. So Dakota, like five minutes later, shows that he bought the plane ticket. And they both turn to me and are like, yo, dude, like, are you coming? Like, or what? And I'm like still working my nine to five, new to ghostwriting, probably making like 20, 30K a month at this time. And I'm like, man, I don't know if my work will let me. So like, I kind of strong arm my work. I'm just like, all right, man. Um, if you don't let me go, I'm probably just going to quit. So they're like, all right, you can go as long as you teach online. And I had to be up from midnight to nine in the morning teaching the whole time I was in Dubai, which kind of ruined the trip. Right. But while I was down there, Liam's just like, man, it's like, why are you even still working? Like, aren't you making like 20, 30 K a month? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. He's like, so like, are you like losing money, dude? Like, what, what is it? Like, what are you working your nine to five for? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm just like a bit more of a conservative guy. I don't really want to like just jump into an opportunity and then end up screwed three months later. And he's like, well, why don't we just do the math? Like how much money do you make as like a college teacher? And like, dude, I was I only made 32,000 a year as a college teacher, like not a very good paying job, like at all. Right. So he's like, okay, so you can't take on more clients because you're a college teacher. So if we did the math, like, aren't you losing like $60,000 in the next like three or four months? just cause you're still working. And I was just like, fuck, dude, I didn't even think about that. That's crazy. So I like quit my job, like on the spot right there. I just like called my boss was like, yo, I quit. I'm done. Like I'll finish out these classes and then I'm, I'm done, man. And that experience, just like being with those guys who are so much further ahead of me and were like helping me question those beliefs on like entrepreneurship, safety and profit was like unbelievably useful. Like I came back and was like, dude, just being with these entrepreneurs for 30 days leveled me up tenfold. So when Dakota was like, Hey man, I'm down in Columbia. Why don't you come down here for like three or four months? Let's just go monk mode. Let's, uh, you know, we'll hang out, meet some other entrepreneurs and let's just like grow our business. I was like, Fuck, that's where I need to be right now. Like that energy of those people that are just like, Hey, like do this. Like, Hey, we're 10 steps ahead of you. So like, are you thinking about this? Hey, like when you're writing for this client, like maybe try this, like, Hey, like this is what we're doing right now. Here's the people we're meeting. Let me connect you to those people. It's just this like really crazy mastermind of like all these internet entrepreneurs that are just leveling everyone up so quickly. So that's like the real reason I'm down here is, you know, experience the culture. That's great. Like explore the cities and everything, but it's mainly just the work aspect of being around those high level people who are just absolutely crushing it and just, leveling me up like just by affiliation of being around them seeing how they think how they learn what they're working on it's like man I, I can't even explain like how much i've learned in the past two weeks of being here like it's just crazy so like getting outside of that that bubble and just being around those entrepreneurs is an incredible influence yeah for sure i mean t taking that risk and then just you know like you mentioned putting yourself around uh others that kind of inspire you and cause you to, to want to move forward and progress, right? That's a huge part of it. Cause I think, uh, it, it's, it's so easy to just be around comfort or to be around, you know, people who just want to like party and drink and, you know, wa watch Netflix. Like it, it's very easy to default to that. Um, but there, there's a ton of, a ton of payoff and reward that comes from putting yourself a little bit outside of your comfort zone or just taking that, that risk, as long as it's calculated, of course, right? Doesn't mean hopping in a motorcycle and going a thousand miles an hour down the road with a with a with a jetpack on. It just, you know, like taking that calculated risk and saying, I think there's a there's a point to this. 
dude, 100%. Like, coming down here, I have I had the savings to live here for, like, three or four months. So I'm like, man, why not? And just even, like, the calls, man. Like, Dakota's working on some crazy stuff, and I don't want to, like, say anything about it. But he was on a call the other day with some dude who's, like, a really high-level copywriter. Like, he's done copywriting for the Wolf of Wall Street, like, Jordan's Belfort, um, for Alex Jones. And, like, he, he is just crushing it. And they were on a call, and, like, he didn't have his headphones, and it was just on speaker. And they were walking through like an offer that they were creating, like how they're doing the copy, like the psychology of like what pain points to hit, like how to word certain things. And I'm just sitting there listening to them talk and I'm just like downloading so much info. I'm like, holy shit, like being a fly on the wall for that one hour long conversation probably did more for my career as a writer than like reading five books on copywriting. Like just seeing the execution of it in real time and downloading the thought processes. It's like, even though I'm gonna lose a bunch of money being here, I think I'm gonna end up making a bunch of money just from what I learn and implement from being around these guys. So it's it's a calculated risk, like you were saying. Yeah. And um, tell tell me a little bit about, I, obviously I know a little bit about ghostwriting, like, you know, for the audience, like, t- tell me a little bit about what you, you know, what you do, like kind of what, what constitutes your work as a ghostwriter. Yeah, ghostwriting is taking like somebody else's thoughts and writing down like their writing their Twitter content, Instagram, LinkedIn for whatever purpose they want. Like some people want status and followers, some people want lead generation, some people want brand, some people want network. So I think like the what people think when they get into ghostwriting is okay, I'm just going to write social media content for this person. I know what pops, I know what doesn't and I'll just grow their account. But to do that like correctly is a lot harder. It's more, okay, I gotta like be able to interview this person. I gotta get on a call with them. I need to understand them. I need to hear their voice like in my head. And then I have to take the ideas that they're sharing with me and I have to write them in a way that I know people are gonna resonate with. So even if like a lot of people, like founders and CEOs, they might be great businessmen, but they might not be really good marketers because that's just like one piece of that wheel, right? So they might say something to me and it's my job to say, how do I like say this in their voice while also wrapping it in a good marketing package and aligning it with the goal that they want, which is either like followers, brand or whatever. So there's actually quite a bit that goes into it to do it correctly, I would say. And I think a lot of people that get into ghostwriting are just like, I can write good tweets, like I'll do it. But I don't know, man, to do it at like the high level and to like make clients really happy and build personal brand for other clients, it's, it's a big gig. Takes a, it takes a lot of work. Yeah, it, it's funny because it a lot of the same, I guess, like mental attributes that I can identify, you know, talking to you uh, about like philosophy and the way that you've kind of like questions, for example, your own internal motivations, like also sounds like it goes into the ghostwriting process, right? Because you have to be able to uh, look at a lot of different pieces of information and integrate them all into essentially compelling writing that, you know, not, not only inspires, but leads to the desired purpose, right. Of whatever it is, right. Like being able to craft it and say, okay, we're, we're trying to generate leads. We're trying to generate sales. We're trying to increase followers, whatever it is, or or all of the above. So um, I think that's just another testament to, you know, the importance of like philosophy, critical thinking, wisdom, right? You can apply it in multiple places, not just in your personal life, but also in your career. Yeah, dude, 100%, man. You nailed it. Like for anyone who's looking at going into ghostwriting or just being a writer in general, the biggest tip I would have is 
to just have a lot of experiences like under your belt. Like Ryan Holiday said this like years ago when I first started getting into writing and I didn't overly believe him. He's like, go and experience things and like have cool stuff to write about. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, easy, easy for you to say like Mr. Successful Hollywood writer. Right. And sure. then like the more I get into it, I'm like, okay, if you've read a lot, you have so much generalist knowledge to pull from that you can at least understand the basics of what, like anything. Like I, I used to be a huge reader before I was like really deep into business. I'm a lot busier now, but I used to read like a hundred to 130 books a year, all nonfiction, like marketing, business, philosophy, self-help sales, like everything, just so I could get my hands on. So whenever someone's talking about sales, I'm like, yep, yeah, I have like a generalist knowledge philosophy. Yep. Yeah, I have like a pretty generalist knowledge there, more specific, but generalist, like, uh, marketing, business, money, like all of those things I can pull from. Plus I have my own experiences of like meeting all these different people, talking to different people. It allows you to almost like slip into these different states and like write from all these different frames of, you know, like if, if I was writing for you, you seem more of like a chill level-headed guy. It's like, all right, I have an idea of how I'd write Shane's content. If I'm writing for, I don't know, like a, uh, what would be a good example of this? I'm trying to think of someone more brash, maybe like Alex Jones, a super extreme example. Like yeah. you have to word things in these like polarizing, <clears throat> super brash Andrew Tate ways, right? So you can't write like the same way for you that you would write for like Tate or Jones. So you have to like kind of archetype people if we're getting into Jungian psychology of like, ah, like what type of archetype are they? And then how do we align that with the generalist knowledge? But then how do we have depth of specialist knowledge as well to like talk about real estate if that's what they're into? So it's, yeah, having those experiences that you can pull from and the knowledge you can pull from will just make you such a good writer. For sure. And it, you, you talked a lot about reading. So um, one of the questions I always like to ask uh, all the guests is uh, for, for two book recommendations. If you had to pick, you know, two books to recommend above anything else, what, what would they be? This question is always hard to answer because I would always respond with like, well, like, what are you interested in? Like, what yeah, are you going into? Uh -huh. But if, if I could just, like, project probably, like, some of my favorite books, uh, I think The Almanac and Naval Ravikant is an incredible book that's very, like, macro, big picture on business and philosophy, all, like, wrapped into one. It's free, so it's a fantastic, like, intro one. For another one, what I say, like, I don't know if I'd recommend Nietzsche to everyone because they're hard books to read. I think a lot of people wouldn't like Nietzsche, even though like that's the one I'd want to go to. So I would maybe say like A Man's Search for Meaning, I think is a book that at least all men should read. Yeah. I think it's a really fantastic book that hits you really hard. It's digestible. It's easy to read and it can just change your life. So I'd probably say those two. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, that, that one's actually come up a couple times and that, that would probably be one of my recommendations too. It's an excellent book. Um, yeah. What about, uh, what, what about like personal heroes? Do you have, do you have like a personal hero or somebody that you, you know, really look up to or looked up to at one point in your life? I think a contrary answer to this one. I think that as humans, we have like a bit of a tendency to like worship our heroes a little too much and not recognize them as human. Like there, there's people that come to mind. Like I really love Bob Iger who grew Disney into what it is just like his philosophy around business. Uh, his like how he carries himself. Like when I, I listen to him speak, I respect him and I'm like, that's the kind of person I would want to be like Jordan Peterson has been huge for me. 
I wish he didn't talk as much about politics and all the crap he's getting into nowadays because like the psychology side and the self-help side that he, he was primarily known for for so many years is so valuable. Uh, like he was definitely a huge influence. Um, and fiction for me is really huge too. Like I'm probably more inspired by fictional characters and fictional ideals than I am by real people. Like I, I think Spider-Man's really good. Spider-Man's like, you know, with great power comes responsibility. Like as you as you develop yourself, as you gain more status and more resources, like don't become an idiot. Like, you know, do like have like responsibility around your power, do the right thing. Like don't abuse it, help the little guy. I think that's great. Like Yoda, I think is really good. If we're talking like Buddhism, self-awareness, questioning and wisdom, Dumbledore, I think is also really good from Harry Potter. Like he definitely inspires me too. Like these archetypes of fictional characters, I'm probably more inspired by than actual people, but it's, like you with philosophy, take a little bit from everyone. Everyone's human. No one's perfect. I like Peterson's psychology. I like this person's this. I like this person's that. And just like piece it all together to become like a unique individual. I think that'll help set you apart from other people. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that a lot. Just, you know, basically focus on wisdom. I think that there's there's wisdom that can be extracted from a lot of different people. And when you, if you idolize someone, if you believe that like they're the person to be, you can miss out on, you know, so many, maybe even conflicting pieces of wisdom that may, may fit you or may, uh, be more beneficial to you as a human being. So I think there's, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of wisdom in that for sure. Um, yeah. Looking at your daily habits. So do you, do you have like a couple of, or do you have any like daily habits that are really important to you as far as just being productive, being efficient, you know, getting things done or just as a human being? Yeah, you know, it's a good question because, you know, before we were recording, we talked a little bit about like hustle culture and stuff. You know, for me, it's like a balance between like working hard and going after my dreams and like really aligning with what's important and what's like the next step, but also finding some way to enjoy my life along the way. There's this entrepreneur named Max Hurtan, and he's like an absolute killer in the Australian marketing scene and whatnot. And he, um, I got to go on a call with him a little while ago. And one thing he said is, are you willing to leave a little bit of money on the table to enjoy yourself along the way? And I was like, fuck, that's really good actually. Cause there's so much richness in stuff that isn't just entrepreneurial. So for me, like to go back to your question about habits, you know, I like to get up and just like shower, listen to like music that gets me kind of like amped and motivated and happy. Cause music is a huge influence on our states and on our mood. Mm -hmm. So I, I try to like curate my music extremely carefully. Uh, and then I just get to work. It's like, hey, what, what is like the most number one thing that's going to like move the needle? And usually it's writing content, whether it be like threads for me, threads for clients, it's definitely not emails and crap like that. I, <laughs> I think people are starting to get annoyed with me because until noon, I don't open Slack. I don't open Telegram. I don't open Twitter. Like if someone's trying to get a hold of me, you're not getting a hold of me until afternoon. Because if I open that stuff first thing in the morning, my productivity just dies. It, it puts me in the wrong sure. frame of like management mind and not like creative, big picture, impactful mind. So that, that's probably the biggest one I would say for a lot of people is like, get off your phone in the morning. Like do not open message. Like my phone lives on focus mode, man. It never goes off focus mode ever. There's like three people that can get through my focus mode. Like my parents, my brother, and like my business partner, that's it. Everybody else is like blocked yeah. um, until, until it's time to like chat with them uh, until it's time to like actually respond to messages and batch it all. Right. So that would be the number one big habit. The only other thing is I, 
I really am trying to like build more of a fitness habit as well. Like doing even like skipping light exercise every day and just allowing myself time to dream and one like, and just like have kind of my own healthy versions of dopamine hits. Like for me, it's just going for a walk and listening to some good music and just daydreaming about like, ah, like what would, how would I write this? How do I write that? And just letting my mind just like kind of do its subconscious wandering thing instead of being so conscious all the time. I'd say those are like my biggest like habits that I try to do every single day. Okay. Yeah. All, all, uh, all great recommendations for sure. Um, moving on, we'll, we'll get the last two questions are a little bit, uh, a little bit more yeah. personal, but, um, sure. most people who have experienced success in life, you know, in, in one way or another, um, or attain some wisdom generally have gone through setbacks, right? And a lot of people can kind of trace success back or, you know, a, like one turning point, one setback in their life that they really pulled a lesson from. Um, that kind of changed everything. Did you, did you have a moment like that? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about the, uh, the, your music situation, right? Like when you're, you're doing music and you're doing the, um, uh, not ghostwriting, but the, like creating like the, the ghost music. Um, and then yeah. you kind of, you looked at that and you realized that you wanted to make a change essentially that that was kind of empty. Was there, was that the moment or was there another moment that you ever experienced or? There's three. And I don't want to be super long winded with this. So I'll try to short, like cut them <laughs> to tell uh -huh. them in short ways. Uh, first one was when I was in college, I was walking home and I was on the phone with my mom and I was struggling to pay my bills at the time. I was working part time at a post office, <laughs> like going to school, like just struggling to pay the bills. And my mom says, well, you're not a doctor who can just go and live on a yacht all year, make a bunch of money and not work. So you're going to have to just like find ways to make more money and like work hard. And like the amount of cognitive dissonance I experienced from that answer was just like a what I'm like, okay, so hold up. If you're a doctor, then how are you spending all this time on a yacht? Cause wouldn't you be with your patients, but like doctors make a lot of money. So like, wait, but there are people who spend a lot of time on yachts. Like who, who, who is that? What do you have to work to do that? That's what led me into like investing uh, businesses with high points of leverage and just like questioning everything. I think my mom finally said something so ludicrous that I, that was the moment when in my early twenties where I'm like, maybe everything my parents taught me isn't just true and I need to think it through more. So like yeah. that, that one thing was really big for me in terms of just questioning everything. Like I would actually say that moment kind of broke me out of like the autopilot that like that first level of self-awareness where I was like, Whoa, I got to question shit. So like that one was really big for me, huge impact. Second one is when I was in high school, I had an extremely traumatic experience on a hero's dose of mushrooms when I was 16 and I almost killed myself. My friend stopped me from committing suicide. And Carl Jung has this quote that, it's something to do with um, the tallest trees have roots that go to like, you know, down to hell or something. I'm like super paraphrasing it, but Young has this quote about just like the, the brightest people have the, some of the darkest experiences and having a trip that was that bad that I was willing to end my own life gave me this like psychological anchor of how fucking bad life can be and just how grateful I am for just everyday living. Like I woke up this morning, I got the shower. I'm around great people. The environment is awesome. Do I have a lot of problems and a lot of things that I want to fix? Hell yeah, I do. But God damn, could life be so much worse? 
like psychological hell, like experiencing that gave me such a frame of gratitude for just like default living where I am so happy just like being alive, having a bedroom, like I'm a minimalist, so I don't have much stuff. And I'm just like so grateful to have a Kindle I can read my books on and just do whatever. Like it's just immense gratitude because of how bad that psychological experience was. So as, as fucked up as this sounds, whenever people are like, oh my God, I'm going through like the worst experience right now. I'm just like, that's amazing. They're like, what? Like my experience is terrible. I'm like, yeah, but once you overcome it, you have the opportunity to become an inspiration and you now have an anchor of how bad things can be, which if you think about it the right way, can give you a lot of gratitude for just everyday life. So a bit of a longer answer there, but that's my second one. Yeah. The third one talking about the music is most people, especially guys, live their entire life to get like fancy cars, mansions and status. They dream about it forever. Like, you know what I mean? They're just like constantly obsessed with it. When I was in music, I, I got to live with a guy who's extremely wealthy. He drove like a quarter million dollar car. So we'd ripped around in that all the time. He lived in a mansion. And what I realized was everyone who admires your status are people you don't want to hang out with. It was unbearably eye-opening to think that most people live their entire lives in pursuit of this to then see what the reality of that destination is. Like we pull up to like a club and a bunch of women would come by and be like, oh my God, like you guys are in this really sick like vehicle. Can we take pictures with it? Like what's your numbers? And you just realize like everyone's using you for everything. Like him and I would chat about it all the time. We would just like have a couple casual drinks after work and talk about how you know, for him, he's like, he was the one who had the money and everything. He's like, everyone just uses me. And him and I have a very close relationship now because we actually like liked each other as people. He's one of my best friends. He's like, dude, like most people do not connect with me on like a personal level. Like chicks would message us all the time. Be like, hey, can we come over? They would come over, take pictures all around the house, like modeling. And then they would leave and not even talk to us. Like we'd throw parties and a crap ton of people would show up take a bunch of Instagram pictures, a bunch of snap, like Snapchats, not talk to us, go and like use the pool and drink our liquor. And then they would leave. And we don't talk to any of those people like seven years later, like 10 years later, maybe we don't talk to any of them anymore. Right. And I was just like, Holy shit. Like you can get like all the status, all the cars and everything. And you're just going to attract the people you don't want to attract. Like the people are going to want to hang out with you. You don't want to hang out with them. They will use you for your shit. It's not as glamorous as people think. And that was extremely eye-opening for me. And that's what made me value meaningful experiences and human connection over status and objects. So those are like my, my three big ones. Man, yeah, that, that last one, that, that one really hits home. It's like um, pe- people only appreciate you at that point for like your image, right? Like you, you almost... Yeah. It's got to be very lonely because you're surrounded by all these people, but it's like no one sees you. Everyone just sees what yeah. they can get from you, or like that's a that that one's deep. I don't know that one definitely yeah. hit home for sure. That's yeah, that one is huge, man. I wish more people in their early twenties could experience what that's actually like to have people love you for what you have and not for who you are. It's yeah. just it's not as glamorous as people think. All right, and to uh, to end off the episode here, um, last one I always ask. This is kind of the uh, the the stumper, the big question. Um, if if you could go back in time and give a message to you know your, yourself and kind of like a, a mid teens, late teens, whatever, just kind of what 
whatever time period you feel like you would need the message most, uh, what piece of advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? I'd probably just say, just keep going. Like, I, I think that would be it is, you know, like I could go back and I could try to tell myself, Hey, like, you know, learn this lesson, learn this, don't do that. But then I wouldn't have the experience that would bring the lessons. So it's, you know, like we, I think we truly move, like become ourselves when we look at our most traumatic experiences and some of like the hardest moments. And we realize that those are what made us like not what broke us. Yeah. And that if we have the power of vulnerability to share those experiences with people and show that, you know, these terrible things that happened, like it, it's okay. Like you can come from a frame of power and like they make you who you are and they give you perspective and like lessons that you had to learn. And I, I think that that's all I would say to my younger self is like, just keep going, man. Like, I'm not going to try to, you know, get you like shortcut you around all this suffering and all these problems because it's going to make you into someone really incredible as long as you look at it the right way and you choose to learn the lesson. So I, I think I would just tell him to keep going. Yeah. I, we, I had another guest the other day that just said it kind of similar. They, they said, uh, it's going to be okay. Right. Just like you're, you're yeah. on the path, you know, it's, it's all right. You know, whatever yeah. you're going through right now, just, just know that that is part of your journey and it's where you're supposed to be. Yeah. hundred percent, dude. That was like the two quotes that came to mind were like, just keep going and it's going to be all right. So I almost yeah. said the exact same one. <laughs> yeah. It's very similar, but, um, yeah. man, I, I love talking with you today, Taylor. I, I definitely would uh, love to stay in touch with you a little bit. Um, for, for the listeners today, uh, how would someone reach out to you? How can they find out more about, you know, your, like what, what you're doing with ghostwriting? Like, do you have any like links you want to throw out anything like that? Yeah, I'd say Twitter is the biggest one right now. I'm really just focusing on that. So at Taylin Simmons, T-A-Y-L-I-N-S-I-M-M-O-N-D-S on Twitter, just send me a DM. I, I do respond to every single DM I get at least like once or twice a day. So if you hit me up on there, I'd love to chat with you, whether it's like ghostwriting or just life or anything like let's let's chat. So Twitter's the place. Cool. All right. And um, I'll, I'll, of course, uh, I'll put the links to that and also your website down in the description as well. But um, Taylor, again, thanks for coming on today. Had a had a great time chatting with you. Yeah, likewise, Shane. Thanks for having me, man. We'll be in touch for sure. Sounds good. Take care. Later. Thanks for listening to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, and hopefully you learned at least one lesson on today's episode. Our mission here is to uncover practical wisdom to create a better way of living for our audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us by leaving the show a review on your podcast platform of choice and by giving it a share on social media. This really helps us to grow our audience and to continue to add more episodes. If you are interested in learning more, please check out our website at renaissance-wisdom.com or check out the book that started it all, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day, now on Amazon. Thank you again, and may wisdom be your guide.